0: Alright, everybody, welcome back. We're here with Josh Morris. And we're gonna be talking paths. The path I took versus the path he took. Uh very different paths, but pretty much ended up in the same spot at one point. Yeah. So not really a but, but I mean we, we did. So Morris, tell me, you know, kind of your path a little bit. Now the other part to this though is we're not going to touch base on, for everybody listening, on, on his entire kind of history. If you want to know more about Morris, um, go ahead and take a look at Season 1, Episode 1. Um, and there's there's a full interview with him then, kind of uh, a little bit more detailed about who he is, the life of his apparent, um, and chef, and all that fun stuff. So, Morris, your path. Yeah. I mean, what got you into it then?
1: Um, I grew up in Gainesville, Texas. It's a really small town just south of the Oklahoma border. Um, didn't have a lot of money growing up. So, I mean, our meals consisted of ground beef, potatoes, cream of mushroom soup for pretty much every meal. Uh, and there was no, like, food... Like interest in food in my entire family, except uh, my great aunt owned a diner on the town square. Right on. And uh, at one point or another, everybody in my family worked there, but it wasn't like any interest in the restaurant business. It was just a way to make money. Sure. I even worked there a couple of times. I remember being like nine or 10 years old and standing on a milk crate so that I could reach the plates in the bottom of the three bay. Yep, And I mean, that was, that was pretty much the extent of it. Um, you know, we ate a lot of canned vegetables, but my, both sets of grandparents had gardens. So we'd have, you know, tomatoes and peppers and onions in the summer. And I was the kind of kid that I didn't hate anything. You know, most kids like having a, don't like broccoli or asparagus or something like that. And I just loved food all the time. It didn't really matter what it was. And I liked going out to restaurants, even though we didn't do it very often. It was, uh, I think because we didn't do it very often, it was much more of an experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And I can remember, you know, as a kid, being really excited to go out and eat with my parents. And, you know, my kids are most definitely not like that. They're like, ah, we're going out to eat again? Why? <laughs> <laughs> And um I've always been a creative person. Like as a kid, I would draw a lot. I got into music fairly early. Uh, I was a writer for a while. So I've always had that creative bug, but you know, actually getting into the restaurant business was, you know, it was just for money. It didn't really hold any other appeal other than a nice steady paycheck at first. And then, um, as a cook in a town that's kind of like known to be a drug town, you kind of fall into the, the pitfalls of that lifestyle, like a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, a lot of hard partying. And your ambitions kind of fade when, when you're living like that. I mean, it's just like the whole point is to get fucked up. I lived that way for, I don't know, from the time I was 17 till I was like 20 or 21. When I turned 21, I got into a relationship with a girl that had two small kids. And I didn't get into that with any intention of becoming like a father figure, but that's ultimately what happened. It was a very fucked up relationship, to say the least. And uh, But she ended up being a really bad person, and she left us. She left me and the kids. So I became a single father for a while. And I was working two cook jobs at the time and taking care of kids by myself, so it was kind of a it was a hard row for a while. But the bug, I guess, was always there for you know creating stuff, but I worked in restaurants where there was zero creativity. It was all about volume, right? So it wasn't until I started uh, dating my wife now that uh, the idea of becoming a chef really set in into like the two people that can, I cannot overstate their influence on my career are my wife who, you know, allowed me to pursue more dreams of becoming a chef and Bourdain. I think a lot of chefs of our generation can, you know, right. They'll chop Bourdain quite a bit. So for the first, you know, 10 years, even I say I've been cooking for 20 years for the first 10 years, I cooked things in a microwave. You know, the only skill I really picked up there was how to be fast, how to be efficient and how to cook a steak with your fingers, which is a great skill to have.
0: (laughs) There's one good takeaway.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh,
0: So, I mean, obviously your wife was, I'm assuming she was in the industry when you met her then.
1: Yeah, we we actually knew each other at that first restaurant we worked together, but we didn't date for the first 10 years that we knew each other. Okay. Our paths just kind of crossed back together uh, later on in life. And, you know, things turned out okay <laughs> after the, all that bullshit right. that I went through.
0: So, I mean, what, what got you into cooking? I mean, what is it about her that, that got you into it? Was she just kind of, did you cook at home and were more creative? And she's like, man, you need to drive this farther or, um,
1: it was certainly that. Yeah. Cause, okay. um, you know, when I was a single dad and I had two jobs, I would have $50 to last three people groceries for two weeks. That's so, fucking um, impressive. Yeah, I did what I had to do, you know? But there's not a lot of uh, creativity to be had when you have to live off the bare minimum. But once I had like her second income, and we like got a house, and she was a really, really great cook. And I would just like sit in the kitchen and watch her because I was so impressed by the things that she knew. And she just learned this stuff from watching cooking shows. So I started watching cooking shows, and of course, like Bourdain was the big one. Even though he didn't cook that much on that show, uh, he resonated with me because... You know, he was a writer too.
0: Mm -hmm. He
1: was definitely rebellious, but he had this real empathy for other people and, you know, uh, certain romanticism about um, a cook's life. Not just a
0: cook's life, but just the food and cultures, Mm -hmm. you know, and just so many things that were so unappreciated in the world. You know, he definitely took us all to places that, You know, people were, lack of a better term, were kind of scared
1: to go. Yeah, and it was it was through that kind of channel where um, you know I've always been poor and I've I've never had the chance to like travel or even when I started thinking about becoming a chef, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to go stage in fancy kitchens or anything. I really didn't understand the means of how to even go about doing any of those things
0: that makes sense i mean yeah when you're getting into it like it, it takes time to really understand and then comprehend i know this seemed like the same word but it's almost two different words because it's you know the the you you kind of understand what cooking is and what you're going. And then there's that next level when you're talking about like going and staging at places and it's like, wait, what? I mean, you know, then there's the the concept of people like I have to do this. And you're like, no, you don't have to. (laughs) Right. You know, um, but it definitely helps with experience and um, you know, for those resume builders out there um, it it is. So
1: yeah. But I've always kind of had, like, a I don't know, an obsessive personality. Like, whatever I'm into, I'm 100% fully into it. So when I started thinking about food and, and becoming a chef, like, I would have dinner parties at my house, trying new things. I would get books from the library, just, like, stacks and stacks of them. And um, I think because of Bourdain, like, the travel shows, I really started to lean into uh, – Flavors and cultures that I wasn't familiar with. So, like, um, big, bold flavors really appealed to me at first. Um, Korean food, Caribbean, African, like, all these ingredients and flavors that I didn't understand. And when I finally did become a sous chef and, like, had input on a menu, even though it didn't really fit with where I was, like, those were the things that I would push and that was kind of, that's a frequent pitfall of chefs when they're coming up, I think, is you start to cook for you. And you don't really cook for the guest. Like, you're just kind of like, what can I do? How can I create? Like, what's next?
0: Yeah, no, especially as a, as a young cook in, in Sue, you know, yeah. because you get so just, you're enamored by it all and just your love. And it's it, it's such that almost like puppy love stage, you know? Yeah. And, and I've always been that chef. Um, it was, it, I was in that same spot, but being that chef, having those younger cooks and Sue's that have always wanted to bring stuff to the table, you know, and you're always kind of looking at it and you're like, man, how do I let the air out of this balloon slowly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's like, it's one of those, like, man, I love this. This is great. I love the energy, and the, right? But it's like, okay, it doesn't fit. So it's like, how can we uh, keep pushing that same energy, right, um, and be encouraging, but also tell them, like, there's no way in hell it's going to be on the menu. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, there were some times where I definitely had to learn the hard way where I would do a tasting for people. They're like, there's no fucking way you can sell this good though it might be like, it just doesn't fit concept and it's just kind of weird. <laughs> so, and, uh, even as a sous chef, like I said, with the obsessive nature that I had, like I pushed, I pushed hard. You know, I would work 60, 70 hour weeks. And, uh, mm-hmm. from where I came from, you know, I was, uh, a leader in the in that kind of field but I did it, the way I got there is because I would do things that nobody else would do and I did them fast and I did them well so I became like this machine of self sufficiency but I didn't know how to delegate and that was another pitfall that came from when I did become an executive chef was I took that burden all on myself and I did not let anybody else touch my shit
0: no that's that's a common one for so many people when they get into it and even what people with experience um, when they get into like a new role with like cool. new people around them, like learn, like not learning, but just actually delegating because everybody knows that you have to kind of delegate stuff out to get things done because you've, it's not like you just woke up one day, never walked into a restaurant and then you're just hey, I'm I'm running the show here. No, I mean you—you you understood, and you've been a part of it. You've been delegated too, um, so I mean, there's a part of you that knew what you needed to do, but there's that fear of, like, man, this is all on me now,
1: <laughs>
0: and so the concept of delegating becomes really, really difficult to kind of comprehend and and actually deal out. Um, is I, I've been there. I've, I've been in that, sh- the chef and then went to a new restaurant, new town, new city, new state, and, and had to be that guy and the delegate things out. And, but I didn't trust anybody and, you know, because everything, all the spotlight was on me again. Right. But it was like on a very different platform. So there's even more pressure and it's, you know, I had to fall on my face a few times, and, you know, it's part of the learning process.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think these are all, like, very common problems, but, you know, they sucked at the time. (laughs) Well, they're (laughs) not going to go away. (laughs) Failure's how you learn, so I learned a lot. And then uh, I got promoted from sous chef to executive chef. That was a huge deal for me. And I was executive chef for probably four months, and I was really starting to find my vibe, and then COVID shut down everything. Well, the reason I bring this up is, aside from kind of losing my vibe, is I was out of work for almost three months, and I was, you know, for the first month, I was trapped at home with the kids. My wife was still working. Her restaurant was still open.
0: Trapped is a good way to put it. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, um, yeah, I really did kind of hit like a spiral of depression for a minute cause it was just like, sure. there was a lot of uncertainty about where my future was, if the restaurant was going to come back, if I was going to have a job still, but once I kind of broke free of that, um. I became a lot more into, I really just needed something to do to like keep my mind busy. So like I started a garden in the backyard and I started getting more into that. And I called you up and I borrowed some uh, old school, like chef books Mm The reason that happened is because I was reading a French laundry book and Thomas Keller talked about how he became an executive chef before he even really learned how to cook. And that one sentence like hit me hard. I was like, oh, my God, I've just been, like, snowballing all the shit that I've just uh, kind of been teaching myself without ever really knowing any fundamentals. So that's why I hit you up to borrow, like, Escoffier and uh, things of that nature. And, I mean, it's like reading the Bible. It's hard to, like, sit there and just read Escoffier, but, um, you know, you power through it and you learn a lot. (laughs) one of the uh, one of the bigger ones like, that hit me was the the Hervé This book that you let me borrow. Mhm. The molecular gastronomy which that term and modernist cuisine kind of get lumped in together when they're not the fucking same. Modernist cuisine became all the the foams and the hydrocolloids and and things of that nature. The actual molecular gastronomy, you know, what started in the seventies and it's just a science behind why things work the way they do. Easy stuff too, like why are your mashed potatoes gluey? You know?
0: Yeah, I'm looking at I'm, I'm looking up to see when that book was originally published. I mean, the one it's showing me is 2002, but that's not right because I've <laughs> owned that book before then.
1: I'm fairly certain it was from the 70s.
0: I think but, so. I mean, yeah, Chef uh, Hervé, this is, I mean, his stuff that he talks about in that book, um, I mean, was like the concept of sous vide and so much of that, um, you know, and it, it, it's called molecular gastronomy, but it's it's almost more just like the science of cooking, right? Yeah. Um and it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. Uh, another one. I don't know. I honestly, I don't own it and I don't know why, um, but on food and cooking. Um,
1: Harold McGee. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It, it's essentially the American version of um, molecular gastronomy, right? Exploring the science of flavors. So yeah. uh, th- those are both great research or not research, but reference books.
1: Yeah. And that was, I don't know, it was a big learning curve for me, like really diving into the old school French instead of um, the stuff that I had been doing. I just really, my interest was piqued into learning how to do that stuff. So I would practice at home. I also got really into fermentation while I was on lockdown since I didn't have much else to do. I'm just going to
0: sit here and watch this thing (laughs) bubble. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I got really good at making my own vinegars that was a big one uh, doing a lot of pickles I would say that COVID for me was actually kind of a good thing it sucked but at the same time you know, I stayed busy and I stayed learning and I learned a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have learned if I was still so busy at the restaurant that I don't have time for reading and and diving things like that. So we came back from COVID and uh, you know, obviously product was hard to come by. And that was probably the funnest couple of months <laughs> of, of my cooking career. Cause I mean, we were open dinner only for a while. I brought back my top cooks. We had a skeleton crew. We changed the menu almost daily. You know, we had We had a blast. Me and the crew had a blast for those first couple of months. Um, Things started to reopen. We got back into the flow pretty quickly. Uh, You know, business was back. It was booming. But I still had, uh, I guess my ideas were getting bigger than where I was. Like, there were certain things that I knew I could never do at that restaurant, and it I already have kind of a chip on my shoulder because I was, you know, I was 27 when I decided to work at a real kitchen. And like I said, I didn't have a chance to stodge or anything like that. So, um, anything that I didn't learn at that restaurant, I taught myself. Right. I've always felt like I was behind the eight ball. So I had a lot to prove still do. But out of the, 20 years that I've been working in kitchens, I've only been a chef by title for almost three years. And that's another, I guess, kind of chip on the shoulder is like, how do I still consider myself a chef when I haven't even had that title for uh, almost two years now?
0: Well, it's just a it's title.
1: Like, yeah. I mean, I try to tell myself that, you know, it's all. I consider myself a chef, and that's what's fucking important. You know, this is what I've decided to dedicate my life to, and I do. I still, I still do.
0: No, I mean, for me, the concept of chef and and, and the titles. I mean, the, the name and title gets thrown around in a lot of ways. You you know what I'm talking about. And it, to me, the concept of a chef and being able to call yourself a chef means that you've been a part of a restaurant where you were in a leadership role that also involved creativity, right? Yeah. And I mean, okay, being in a leader, leadership role, that, that's a whole nother level of creativity. Um, you know, <laughs> if you've ever tried to figure out the scheduling on sometimes and, during labor crises and during COVID and stuff like that's talk about creativity um, and uh, as well as just punishing yourself. But, um, you know, but I'm talking about more creativity in the world of cooking. Right. And also being able to go to someone and almost become their mentor. And, and be able to teach them and because being a chef is about elevating the, everybody around you, right? Because they've got to execute your dream, your visions. So it, the idea is to elevate everybody around you. And, and to me, that's a chef, someone that's in a leadership role that can elevate the people around them. That would be a better way to say it.
1: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, with uh, that, we have- you qualify.
1: No, well, thank you. It's a load off. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've got my
0: blessing, huh?
1: <laughs> and,
0: uh, all right. So, that's where we're at. Grew up, um, we'll say underprivileged, um, no real direction. And finally, kind of found that direction. Um, did not go to any kind of formal culinary training, informal culinary training. Uh, all your training was just self taught. Yeah. Um, and then finally, just the whole like, okay, time to get into restaurants, like, lack of a better term, a real restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, real restaurant, meaning a scratch kitchen, um, that did not own a microwave, (laughs) right. Um, and, and then just learning the ropes.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I pushed just as hard as I, I did when I was executive chef, but I didn't really have a lot of backup because, uh, my sous chefs were guys that were still running the line. Like they still had to run shifts. They were part of the the cooking crew. So I couldn't put too much on their plate as far as like ordering and inventory. Uh, I kind of did a disservice to them. I'm not going to lie by not teaching them those things, but at the same time it was just kind of like head down, do it. Um, I worked sick. I worked 70 to 80 hours a week sometimes. I worked a couple of 36-hour shifts. (laughs) Um, And those are the things you do because you love it. You will literally drive yourself into a fucking hole. But it's all for the love, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean...
1: that. I think to a normal person, hearing that you worked... A 36-hour shift is so mind-blowing. Uh, yeah. You worked almost 40 hours in, in two days. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes,
0: I did. I mean, in, in some, there's so many people that aren't familiar with the industry that if they happen to be listening to this, are going to call bullshit on that too. Because they're like, it's not possible. And it's like, yeah, yeah, actually it is. And it's pretty easy. Um, man, so it, and then, so our paths, right. We just kind of recapped yours versus mine. I grew up and I was just working fast food kind of, um, and went to culinary school. I, I was able to do that. Um, And honestly, I probably went to culinary school sooner than I should have because I didn't have any like real, as I put it, real restaurant experience other than just knowing that there was something about it that was like, hell yeah. Um, Yeah. And and then just kind of bounced around the country until we kind of finally met. Um, And, but I mean, that's also the it's a very interesting where I, I was fortunate where I didn't have anything kind of holding me back. Um, and was never really into any kind of relationship of any kind for very long because my relationship was with restaurants and cooking. Um, and so honestly, like when it came to the concept of dating or going out, like it was just never a factor for me because I just, I couldn't like, like, well when am I gonna go? I'm like, I'm always working. Not working, I'm studying. I'm like and I had yeah. no desire to do anything other than work and study
1: for about decades. It's definitely a a different spin where a lot of people they get into this industry, they wanna become chefs and they have that opportunity to to stage or travel or you know, work multiple places and sometimes work for free just to get experience. And uh, when you're a parent, you have to think about money first, and you have to think about their well being first. So your priorities are really out of whack for one else's. Absolutely. But the goal is nonetheless the same.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I remember when we had our first daughter. Or only daughter, my first kid. um, It was a moment of like, oh shit, like, okay, like, you know, got to take things a little bit more seriously, right? And it's like, okay. Um, Still bounced around a little bit, not too bad, but. And then when we had our second um, kid, like the moment I found out that we were going to have two, it was a, I mean, it was scarier than like the first one. Because it was like, I really can't fuck up. You yeah. know, it's like, I no, I, I can't just on a whim say, hey, fuck you, and I'm going somewhere else because I didn't like the way you looked at me today. You know, yeah. it was like, no, it's time to take things a hell of a lot more seriously. And in some of the frustrations and all that stuff, just had to be like, well, I can suck it up, right? Yeah. Work through it. And, um, but just also learn to communicate some of that stuff as well. Um, yes, yeah. Once you start adding kids to it, mouse to feed, and the cost to just have, not just, I mean, to have them in your life is, especially when you start talking like daycares and oh, man. I mean, I, I don't think people really, really understand how much that costs. So, yeah. I mean, depending on what part of the country you're in, um, I mean, you're easily spending ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year per kid in daycare. Yeah. So you can work, yeah.
1: So that you can pay for daycare. It's a really yeah. Fucked up
0: thing. <laughs> so I mean, when you take you know how much someone makes, you know, let's call it a Sue, that's happens to be bringing in. 45 to 50, maybe right. Um, after taxes and everything and then take out daycare. And that's like maybe 25 grand a year of spending money. That doesn't include mortgage or rent groceries. Yeah. yeah. So no, it, it children are, Amazing. They're an incredible blessing. They helped me. They they changed me in a lot of good ways. Um, whether and it was some of it was uh subconsciously too. Um and and I am incredibly grateful for them, uh, even when they piss me off. But um, uh, yeah, no, it, it's it changes how you're able to. It it changes your decision-making process. Yeah. And your priorities to a degree. Sure. (laughs) Oh, kids. So with that, don't have kids until you're ready. Yeah. (laughs) But sometimes you're gifted with them. And, uh, I know that you love those kids more than anything too, so.
1: I do like my children.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On most days.
1: Most days. And, uh, I never, as a child, I always told myself that I would never have kids, which is (laughs) hilarious that I now have four. Yep. That is funny.
0: Um, well, that's. For me, like uh, not kids, but um, as a student, I was a horrible student in so many ways. Uh, I didn't read a book, like any book through school without, I mean, I, all my tests and all that stuff where all the reading and they're supposed to be doing was based off like cliff notes and all that stuff. Um, and, but I didn't read a book until I was out of high school. and And now I've got a library. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I read every day now. And it not I'm not just talking culinary, but just everything. So it's funny oh. how life
1: changes. I was always a big reader. I've always been horrible at math though. I'm still terrible at math. But I have to use it every fucking day. Conversions and such.
0: <laughs> oh conversions.